1: This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. What is leverage? It's the power to act effectively. It's a strategic advantage. It means that you're coming to the table with a reputation, with a business, with solid numbers, with evidence that you're actually doing what you want to do as opposed to having to have these people that are going to make a deal with you understand and see your potential. It's not about that. If you're gonna, you know, when you come with solid business, you're going to get the record deal, you're going to get the management, you're going to get the booking agent, you're going to get the better tours. And it it, this is what it takes to make it in today's music industry. It's not going to be your talent, you're going to have to come with a book of business. That's why we called it the climb. It's an acronym creating leverage in the music business. And the genius that came up with that is my co host and my good friend, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent is an award winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And Brent helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro do business like a pro, and then on a regular, he connects you with the pros. He gives you an nap bag, gives you a shot to make a relationship with the publisher. Uh, find Brent at songwritingpro.com very easily. Once again, songwritingpro.com.
2: Hey, and I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. Daredevil has created over 25 25- 25 national tv opportunities for their indie artists by making them discoverable they've also created multiple tour opportunities and through the power of digital marketing data they've attracted a number of investors for their artists now investors are the money folks and they like numbers because numbers don't lie so that's where that digital marketing data comes into it you can find johnny at daredevilproduction.com that's production singular no s and there is no s because there is no other johnny d (laughs) <laughs> how you doing brother i'm good i'm glad that now that you understand that there is no west because mm-hmm. there is no other that you know it all makes sense now
1: it makes me feel good a couple yeah.
2: episodes ago we finally deciphered that
1: i'm like what, is that, what does that mean like, like, <laughs> <laughs> right. well today we're going to get into a really in-depth interview here for the first time mm-hmm. with a daredevil artist and we're going to talk about the journey from from what he did to to, to where he is now and in the growth that's happening and the different sort of milestones we've we've hit along the way and just kind of really dig down deep into the grit of it because a lot of times especially like even in the climb community and stuff we're posting the wins right we're posting mm-hmm. the the cool headlines and I want to get into pull the curtain back a little bit and and have you get to know this person who's got a work ethic and a, and a level of humility that is exactly in my opinion, what's required to, to make it in this industry and to be able to make a living doing what he loves to do, which is what we're all seeking to we're, it's what we're all after, right?
2: Yeah, I'm excited about it because if you if you're a climber, if you're a longtime climber, you've listened to a bunch of episodes. You're probably guessing who we're talking
1: about now. <laughs> He's even had a doll made of show. him by climbers. I know. Uh, <laughs> I a little doll,
2: a little Johnny doll was on Johnny's.
1: T-shirt. Oh yeah, so I, I, my doll. That's right. So I was on the doll, doll? I was wearing his t-shirt though. But
2: you're wearing this artist's t-shirt <laughs> as right, the doll. Fair. So, That's right.
1: I stand correct. But yeah. hey, before we get into that, real quick, um, let's let's take care of a little business here. As always, the Climb is a podcast. We're proud to partner with Disc Makers. They've been supporting indie musicians before indie music was ever even a thing. And when you're ready to make some CDs, DVDs, vinyl, which is coming back in a really big way, or if you're going to do some tricky, cool stuff, distributing your uh, music and and, and video content on customized USBs, you need to go to discmakers.com. It's D-I-S-C makers.com. That's the only place you need to go.
2: And while you're there, click on the Guides and Resources tab and download some of their excellent free guides. They've just revised and expanded their home studio handbook, which has a ton of great advice and information for newbies and for studio veterans. You can find them online, again, at www.discmakers.com or give them a call at 800-468-9353. That's 800 468 nine, three, five, three. I think I know that phone number now better than I know my wife's.
1: I'm gonna get a tattoo of it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I say that more than I say my wife's number. I'm just like, speed dial. <laughs> That's but right. now it's like, you got one phone call. I'm like, I hope I, I hope somebody's open at Disc Makers. <laughs> That's the one number I know.
1: <laughs> so listen, if you haven't done it so already, please join the Climb community on Facebook. This uh, grows at a a steady eddy kind of a rate. I mean, we're nearing mm. a thousand. Uh, yeah extremely busy there's there's activity going on there's people asking questions people answering questions i'm on there on the regular I'm, i've got to be on there at least once a day and mm-hmm. i'll go there and find a thread with you know 10 comments on it and yeah. replies and i'm like how do i like they don't was, wait for us. That's just yeah, great. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, no, it's all happening without us, and, and we're chiming in, and, and I think we're still pretty much hitting everything, but um, it's, there's a lot of really good, I mean, singers, songwriters, indie artists, mm. marketing questions, songwriting questions, business questions. People are asking really good ones and getting really good answers. I haven't had one time where I've ever disagreed with an answer that somebody proffered up. In the clown usually I just put you know I have the emoji with the finger pointing up, and I'm like, yeah, yes. like what he said, yeah, what, what he said, said. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So subscribe to the podcast as well to wherever you consume your podcast. Make sure that uh, the episodes come in automatically, right down in order, and you can consume them as you like. Take thirty seconds, leave a rating and review, and let somebody else know what you think about the uh, the podcast itself. It, it it gives some legitimacy to it. It's 50% true. If we say it, it's a hundred percent true if you say it. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the best, best, the best possible compliment that you could give us would be to share this with a friend. If you've got a fellow musician, another songwriter, uh, another indie artist friend, and uh, they're not aware that we exist, let them know if it's helping you, if it's moved you, if it's provided value to you, it's going to help them. It's going to make you look cool. And, and it's going to help us accomplish our mission which is just reach as many musicians as we can right yep so and make sure you share it and uh do we have a review that we're we, gonna we do have a review this one was not
2: posted on itunes that i've seen yet this this came through more of an email kind of thing okay uh, but it's from joe uh, okay. is ip address no i'm not sharing that anyway his <laughs> so this came from joe and uh it was a comment on i guess our what might still be our most previous tuesday episode but are you a a uh, genre codebreaker, songwriting codebreaker. So it's it's based on that episode. And uh, it's keeping, it, keeping it real here, Joe said, this was not helpful. All you did was state the obvious. You didn't add any furniture to this subject. I know there's a difference in the way one writes a country song and a pop song. I thought you'd share some differences. Matter of fact, you talked more about gospel than anything else. What a waste of my time listening to you guys giggling. Wow. Well, thank you, Sorry, Joe. Joe. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that
1: we keep it real i mean we're gonna read all of them right we're gonna read all of them we're gonna... i got gonna
2: kick out of that well i'm like well yeah that's right i we on that episode we didn't dive into the particulars of this is how you write a country song versus this is how you write a pop song you know why because that stuff changes over yeah. time and Let's... we're going more for the evergreen and hey you got to get in there and, and decipher because each language is different uh so we are not going to talk about the slang because otherwise it you know sounds like oh yes and we're gonna tell you how to do slang from wayne's world this is a <laughs> show, right? It- no. So we're that's going right. for more of the evergreen thing.
1: So I feel like Joe was probably in the middle that. of trying to cross a genre. I don't know. And, and uh, was just a little pissed off that we didn't uh, give him know, the easy button. button more. I don't know. But Joe, I appreciate you expressing your thoughts.
2: And uh, sorry about the giggling, but that's probably there's probably going to be a lot more of that. Yeah, yeah. can't stop that. This is
1: fine. <laughs> I wonder uh, if that was his first episode.
2: Like, <laughs> I don't know. If, if it wasn't his last episode, Joe, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining. Yeah.
1: <laughs> good, good to have you. Good to have you. No Keep on anyway, uh, well, let's move on here. I want to introduce everybody to the, the young, extremely talented, and uber handsome Mr. Jacob Cade. Jacob, how you doing, buddy?
3: I'm doing great. How's everybody going? It's uh, good,
2: man. Welcome to the climb. You're it, rocking the
3: – your hat game is strong today. Thanks. It's new. It's new. I got this hat. Uh, I got it custom made for me. Uh, by a guy here, on he he lives right by Mile High Stadium. And oh yeah, so, like I I wear these hats all the time. It's like another one of my things. I'm like obsessed with them. A guy named Noah Gunderson, if you guys know who that is, um, he Not no Big Bang here. He like sold out this club called Bellwether. Uh, we were talking about it earlier, so <laughs> I know the owner. And I was there late one one night, just like kind of hanging out, and he was like. Hey man, you come in Friday? And I was like, Well, you guys sold it's sold out, man. Like, I I didn't get a ticket or anything. He's like, dude, what are you talking about? Just show up and I'll get you in. Tell them to come get me and I'll get you in. I was like, Alright, cool. So I show up and go and whatever and watch the show and everything. And I was hanging out in the green room. And this guy comes up and is like, Hey, like, I like your hat. Where'd you get it? And I was like, Oh, I Blue and Bros, this shop um downtown. And then he's like, Dude, well, I make hats, so we should make one. Just let me make you one. I was like, awesome. So I uh, went to his little shop in his house. It's in his like little apartment, and he made it for me. It's like pretty cool. I dig yeah, it. Yeah, I like
1: it. <laughs> we'll snag. A, I'll snag. A, give me the video on this, Brent, and I'll use this as the as the image. Get the image. Yep. Yeah. So they can see the ruckus shirt and they can see the, the hat and everybody will reference what we're talking about. There yeah. we go. Yeah. So where I want to start with this is. Um, guys, Jago, how long have we been working together now? Like how long has it been? Almost three years.
3: I three think. Half so. years? Yeah. Um, I think it's almost three years. Cause I know, um, I know it's been at least three since we made the record. over There. And that's, uh,
1: no, your first record to me, um, Prince of Rock and Roll. Mike My- Michaels. It hasn't been three years since Michael's record. Three or two. It's Listen,
3: so you guys don't have to figure this out. Cause two. I'm not
1: it's done two, done. it's <laughs> two, it's two, it's two. Cause it was, it was a year ago, <laughs> like July.
3: Okay. All right. I'll trust you. It's been a minute though. And it doesn't. It's been,
1: yeah. It's been a while. So, and before that, I mean, we were working together for, yeah. So it's been like three years that we've been working together for sure. So w- let's start out with, with, before you came into my awareness, uh, you know, how'd you get started? Like, w- like w- what got you, you're, how old are you now? You're 20?
3: 20. Yeah.
1: So, when I met you, you were seventeen, and um so before that you, you're making moves you're starting to make stuff happen you're, you're you're playing out on a regular basis, like just get in a little bit of that like what got you into guitar jacob Cade, if you if you're if you're new to the show is is a virtuoso on guitar, a hell of a showman, and uh, a great songwriter so and you've been doing it for for quite a while start start there, start where you start and kind of build up to it we'll get to the, the the compacted version of the early days and then kind of get into some of the lessons that we learned along the way recently.
3: Cool, man. Yeah. So essentially when I was young, about eight, I was running around here, the house and found song Remains the same by Led Zeppelin, the concert video popped it in, saw Jimmy Page the first time changed my life. Um, From then on, I wanted to be a guitar player. Uh, And so then I started, you know, I got my guitar, um, there was like a little acoustic laying around. So I started trying to play it. My dad played guitar for but when, when he was a kid. So he was like, I know like a couple chords. So he showed them to me from then on. I kind of just taught myself how to play. And so I just like would watch Jimmy Page on the TV or listen to him in the car or whatever and just like figure out how this thing worked. Um, eventually I got my first electric guitar and then eventually I got my first Les Paul and then I just started playing and playing and playing until I was of the ability to play on stage with a band and get through a song. And I did that for the first time when I was, I think, about 11 or 12. Um, I, I may have been younger. But when I played with, like, a full band, it was just at a bar. guy like was like, you know Back in Black? And I was like, yeah, I know Back in Black. And so they invited me up, and I played. Shortly after that, I came to the realization that if I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, which was the goal already, I'm going to need to learn how to write my own songs and make them good because no one gets far in this business under their own name as a cover artist. I mean, maybe some people do, but not usually. And that's not what I want it to be. So I started trying to write songs. I think I wrote my first song when I was like 13 or 14. met a guy that had a studio, recorded my first little EP. And then that launched me into putting a band together, which was made up of my dad and a Drummer, separate drummer friend that I knew, and got my first gig under the name of the Jacob Cade Project. That first gig, it stands true that your next gig is always from the gig that you are playing right now. You're at a gig, you know, chances are there's someone around there that's going to give you your next one or going to be the segue to the next one. Played that one, got a show somewhere else that same night again the next night. And so just started playing. I think at one point we were playing, gosh, I want to say at least three times a month, maybe even more. Sometimes we were just playing everywhere at any point possible. I was playing stuff by myself out on like some street corner.
1: You're busking.
3: Yeah. I was doing playing anywhere. And that's, that's a, another thing that stands very true is uh, you got to play anywhere and everywhere that you can because not only does that exposure, it gets you very prepared for going on tour and being comfortable on stage, playing with people. And I think the best practice for me is playing live because it's such a different animal, man. You have one chance to do this thing. You gotta play perfect this one time. Do your plan, your stage movement, your, your interaction with the crowd. It's almost like a first impression every time. You got one chance to like meet your girl's dad.
1: Yeah, for the first time. One chance yeah. to make a first impression. Sure.
3: That's how I look at it. And then eventually from that, we just kept playing and playing. And then finally got to this professional studio that's here in Lakewood that I actually still use. Because the guys are amazing. They became our best friends. But we, we recorded a record. And that was The Prince of Rock and Roll. At that time, I think I was about 15 or 16. we still in, in high school as, you know, playing music, being a musician. And that was very different. Hanging out with friends and all that stuff took kind of like a backseat because all I wanted to do was play music. And I knew that I got to, I had to work at it. I wanted to get ahead of the game at the time. I didn't realize how young I was. So I was trying to be slash, you know, huh. it was really good, a good mindset to be in because it was just like as stressful and as annoying as it was always like comparing myself to, you know, the big guys. It was, it was really good for me because I pushed myself more and more. And eventually, um, we got to make this record. We didn't really have anywhere to put it. There was no like segue. We didn't know anybody. We we're still here and in Colorado. I mean, we played out of state a couple of times, but nothing really too big. Through that up and down cycle of like, well, what are we even doing here? Like, this is where are we going? There's, there's nowhere for us to go. And at, at the lowest point of all, my mom comes home from work and was like, I met this guy through this. I heard his podcast. His name is Johnny Dunnell, and he has Daredevil Production. He wants to help us out. So it was like, really? Okay, that's cool. And he's from Nashville. says he can help us out, and we're going we're gonna to try it and see, see what happens. You know, meeting Johnny was kind of the, the foot in the doorway to, like, the real music industry and, like, getting in the circles of the right people, the people that can actually do things for you in a big way. After that, we kind of we, we oh,
1: hold, hold on. I gotta, I gotta. So I gotta, I gotta interject here for a second. <clears throat> so I talked with your mom on the phone, and we started working together, and immediately went to work on the marketing and, and social media, and just started to build that up. But I think we were working together for a while, like maybe f- five or six months before I actually met you. And yeah. I met you down in Memphis. Yeah. And you were playing a gig down there. So Brent, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I go down to Memphis. I'm actually hanging out with uh, with Neil Schuyler, right? Yeah. So we, we go down there together and uh, we're, 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 uh, were we playing the hard rock? Yeah. He's playing the hard rock. So <laughs> we go walking towards the hard rock. We're walking down Beale Street and I come up on this kid and he's in a three piece suit looking like 007. Talking to everybody on the street, man. Hey, how you doing? I'm Jacob K. Hey, we're playing right down the street there. Come on down and say hello. Like, you know, just kissing hands and shaking babies like a politician would be nice. uh, On this, I was like blown away. I'm like, this kid's got so much hustle. Like right. So there was your first impression with me. It was like this kid's got hustle. He's not afraid to talk to anybody. Like I love him, you know. <laughs> and then uh, we went and saw the show, and it it was like in the restaurant or something. It was a weird. It wasn't like the Hard Rock the way you think about it as the Hard Rock, but it was amazing. You know, the, the playing was amazing. I'm like, oh man, okay, this is, and it sort of changed a lot of the ways that we thought about, you know, different things we could do to market him because it like his live performances it's just something to behold, you know, mm-hmm. I think, um, I think a lot of the climbers have seen that video that we did of you, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So from some of your concert footage, that's, uh, it's, it's astounding, you know, but, um, all right. So go on from there. I just want to talk about like the first time that we met and, mm-hmm. and, and how that happened. So go ahead.
3: Yeah, no, that was great. We were actually, um, right near there, uh, on this last tour that we were on when we played in Memphis, it was Beale street and we, and walked, right by the place where I first met you. And I was like, wow, this is where it was. Like, that's crazy.
1: <laughs> full circle. It comes full circle. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
3: but no, so yeah. And then I remember, you know, we were just kind of working on the stuff that we had, those songs that we had. And one day Johnny was like, we got to make a new record. I think we just need new, I think we need new music. How are we going to do it? And Johnny was like, we should do it here in Nashville. Let me work on something. And so Johnny... Got in contact with a guy named Michael Wagner, um, who I'm sure you know of him. I'm sure a lot of people know of him. He's legendary rock and roll producer. The guys like Dawkins, Skid Row, um, Ozzy Osbourne, Metallica, his list goes um, on and on and on. Johnny showed Michael who I was, and Michael was like, cool, let's make a record. So he was down for it, and it was awesome. Met him over the phone, um, which we were doing a lot of things over the phone because I was here in Colorado, Johnny and everybody else was in Nashville. We kind of planned this whole thing and to kind of have me fly down there and mingle and do some co-writes and meet Michael and kind of check everything out. Michael and I hit it off. Johnny and I, you know, hit it off. You know, we had met before then we'd known each other and everything. So we were, I I did some co-writes with some, uh, some people that Johnny had known. Then we went to the uh, rock and roll residency in Nashville which is just like a rock and rollers hang. like.
1: So uh, let's talk about that for a second. So the rock and roll residency, for those of you who aren't from Nashville is now kind of over because the band just became kind of famous in their own right. And they're actually the backup band for Gene Simmons band for Ace Frehley's band. And now for somebody else that's really huge. And I forget the name, but uh, every week is this band of really killer musicians would play and, all the local rockers and there's a lot more of them, more of them every single day in Nashville would come out and it would be like a star studded event. I mean, uh, Stephen Tyler's ex-wife, B Buell would always be there. She was there that first night we went. <clears throat> um, if any band was in town, uh, recording, they're going to go hang out and jump up on stage and do some songs. So it's like a really cool sort of weekly hang. It was free. It was just this really great little, little vibe, you know? And so, yeah, so we, so <laughs> I got to tell this part of the story, okay? Because I want to tell it from my perspective because it was astounding. Like what happens, Brent? He comes walking in again. Kids in the suit, right? He's in like a like a like a like. like He looks like a Wall Street. It looks like he's driving a Ferrari, man, to to work, you know? Yeah. Not not like a leather thing that you'd expect from a rocker kid. Just always like throwing curveballs. Yeah. So we we go there, and we're with Michael hanging out at the uh, at the Rock and Roll Residency, and we're just kind of talking about different players that we could use. And and here's the point I want to make before I say what I'm about to say. This is something I've noticed in my life. When you're in the lane that you're supposed to be in, the abundance of energy that flows towards you is never-ending, right? It's, it's all of a sudden things just start to happen magically when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It doesn't feel like an uphill battle so much, right? It's not, not, I'm not saying that it got any easier, but like that night, we're there, we're talking about who's going to be on the record. And one of the problems that Jacob had had up until then, keep in mind now, he's eight. Is, were you 17 when you recorded that record? You were 17, right? Or 18?
3: Uh, I was 17, about to turn 18.
1: So, He's not hanging out at the bars all the time because he's not of age. You know what I mean? So right. it's like not as easy for him to sort of go in and blow somebody away with his show and then steal the best players from the bands around town, which by the way, I kept pushing him to do. I'm like, just go with your mom, just go with your parents, do whatever you got to do. Like I'm pounding yeah. him over the head, but it's, it, you know, it's unrealistic, right? Like he's not where he's hanging out Yeah, because he can't. So, One of the problems was a drummer, like, you know, finding a good drummer. He couldn't find one. And uh, so we're sitting there talking about it. And all of a sudden he's like, dude, that's Brent Fitz, who's Slash's drummer. Who else did he play with, Brent?
3: Brent played with uh, Alice Cooper for a minute. He played with uh, Gene, Gene Simmons for a minute. That's Uh, right. Played in Vince Neil's band for a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, so this guy's like Mr. I I never go home because I'm on the road with all the coolest acts that you can't play with, guy. Right? He's yeah. that guy, and so he comes. He comes walking in, and I, I'm like, "Who's Brent Fitz?" I turn to my right. I'm like, "Who's Brent Fitz?" And he's gone. Like Jacob's gone. <laughs> he's talking to Brent Fitz, dude. He walks right up to him. He's like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" Like, tell him what you said to Brent Fitz, and then I, let me let me then bring it back around to me because I want to tell the rest of the story. Like, it was
3: killer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I I was like, you know, shocked because this. Slash is like my guy, my favorite band ever. I love that band. And I, you know, I wasn't just into Slash as much as I love him. I was into like everybody in the band. I knew the names of them. I knew the names of the songs. I was just obsessed, you know, talking
1: about Slash's solo band here, guys, too. Not Guns N' Roses, by the way. Some was, yeah.
3: Um, and so, um, I walked up to him and I was like, Brent Fitz. I just said his name. I didn't know what else to do. And he's like, yeah, hey, I'm Jacob. I'm, I'm here uh, recording a record with Michael Wagner. Um, he's right over there. Do you know him? And he's like, no, no. I, I mean, I've met him one time a long time ago. Work. I was like, he's like, really? You're working with him? I'm like, yeah, dude. It's awesome. But, like, dude, I'm a huge fan. Like, how are you? What's going on? And, and essentially that small conversation introduction, I was like, yeah, you should come meet Michael. Because my ploy was to get him to talk to Michael in our in the little circle, and then be like casually, hey. By you- the
1: way, <laughs> uh, and so well, so that's what So Brent goes to meet some friends of his because, like, you caught him right when he was walking in the club, and and then Jacob comes over, and his eyes are like as big as sausage. He's like, dude, I just met Brent Fitz. Like, I I, I can't like this this like Nashville rocks. Like, he just can't even <laughs> believe like it happened on like a it was like a what a Wednesday night or something. Yeah. And he's tripping, tripping out, and, and Michael's like, who's Brent Fitz? And he's like, dude, that Slash's drummer. And Michael's like, oh. And Michael's got a German accent, so I'm going to try to fake this German He's like, oh, so I mean, do, do you want him to play your, on your record? And, and Jacob's like, yeah. He's like, hold on. And he just goes and walks over. He goes back five minutes later, he's like, he's going to play on your record. <laughs> Done deal. Like it, the whole thing happened in like the span of eight minutes. It was, hi, I'm Jacob To He's going to play on your record. You know, like, it's, Those things happen, man, you know, and, but fearless, dude. you feel you'll talk to anybody? I love that. I love but, that story.
2: I, I love that. It came as, Hey, I'm Jacob. And, and by the way, let me offer up some value. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm working with Michael Wagner, which one legitimized. He's like, you're working with him. And he knows who Michael Wagner is because he's legit. And they're like, yeah, would you like to, ma- do you know him? No. Well, hey, come on over, say hi. I'd love to introduce you. So you're immediately you're offering up value. You know, you're yeah. cool just because he doesn't know you from a can of paint, but you're cool because you're working with Wagner and then you're offering to bring him into that world. And of course, you know, as a working musician, his life is all about who you know and opportunities and that sort of stuff. So that's value for him. So you weren't an asshole, right? Yeah. You weren't coming up <laughs> asking for stuff. You're coming over and you're offering something up. So, anyway, that's what I take from that.
3: Yeah, man. Yeah, no, with it. That's kind of like my. I hate being like the fan girl dude. You know, yeah. uh, that's not that's not who I am, and that's not who I like to be treated. And you'd be surprised, even even I have gotten with those people. They just want something from you. You know, and mm. they want to talk to you about you know their life and tell you all about who they are and just want to be like, okay, so like, can I have, can you sign this? Can I take a picture? Oh my gosh, man, I want you to do this and that. And like, I know everything about you and like what's going on and this and that just like in your face, constant right here. And it's just, it's not fun. It's, it's going to yeah.
1: be your best friend when you don't, you just met him
3: Exactly. And it's like, dude, all anyone wants to do is just be recognized as just like a real person. Yeah. And so that's how, like, I've, that's how I kind of view all of my idols to so the people that I look up to. I try not to be, like, this dude that's just another fan that's kind of just bugging them. I try to be a part of their their field, you know? A pro.
2: Yeah. A pro and a pro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think the flip side of that is too, is, like, fans want to be seen as, as people, too, and not just, like, a potential customer. Yeah. You know, that flip side of that, too, is where you come in and go, Hey, you know, we talk about so much it's, it's about them, make it about them. You're the, you know, they're Luke Skywalker. You're, you know, Obi-Wan that's going to lead them to a great time, right? A great musical experience, but it's about them and what they want. And so they just like feel like, it's like, I'm just a wallet. I'm just, a, I'm just, my only existence is I carry around a credit card.
1: And yeah. I'm the gatekeeper
2: yeah. for my credit card.
1: Yeah, that's right, and and, that, and 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 that's the way you always approach them, right up until the point where they, you know, they cross a the line. <laughs> right.
3: Exactly. Not. Yeah. <laughs>
1: not, you know, not not all the time, and certainly not most of the time, but often enough when you're when you're playing out as much as in as much as he's doing. So then from there we we get the record started. You did some co-writes. I mean, wh- who'd you co-write with?
3: Yeah. So um, we I co-wrote with Johnny's buddy Michael Salakius. Uh, yeah. We did that
1: awesome
3: uh, yeah great that was a great one also did co-write with lizzie hale from hailstorm and joe hottinger from hailstorm as well wrote with rachel bolan from skid row and paul taylor from winger and alice cooper and, and his own like line of people that he's played with so that was those each in their own were like another one of those this is crazy what is going on how am I doing this right now? Kind of like a dream. So, okay, so let's let's go down that road for a second. So, right at that moment, Jacob,
1: I think a natural default headspace that most normal humans are gonna go to is they get into the imposter syndrome. Do you know what I mean when I say that? They feel like they don't belong there. Like, what am I doing here? Like it's so surreal they start to spin out in their own head. How did you navigate that? I mean, you're dealing with Mike. All of a sudden, you're dealing with Michael Wagner, who's sold 100 million records, like the, the stuff he's produced. He mixed Master Puppets. He mixed Look What the Cat Dragged In for Poison. He mixed the first Motley Crew record, if you just saw that whole thing on, yeah. on Netflix. He mixed So Far, So Good, So What for, for Megadeth. He mixed Queen. He I mean, oh, my Lanta, he's got... Hmm. It's astounding what he's done. And then you're writing with all these people that you know who they are. And like like Lucy Hale, like relevant on the radio today as a a, a new artist, like a big star. How do you, how did you navigate that? How do you keep your head together?
3: That's, that's an interesting, uh, interesting thing. I guess it started from this thing my mom told me right at the beginning of all this. Like you're going to meet a lot of people that you love. And you're going to work with a lot of people that you love. And eventually you're gonna have to realize that you belong with them. You belong here. And you act gotta act like you belong here. Don't act like you're just some charity case. Don't act like you're like you just want a contest.
1: You just want a contest. That's, That's a great I'm way to put so it so stealing that. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> it was like That's a great way to put it. Yeah. It was like, yo, you're here because you're you and you can do this and you belong here. This is where you're supposed to be. Um, you're just as good as them, you can do what they do, and you can learn from them. And who knows, maybe they can learn from you. And that was kind of like this, that spiel. I just remembered, and I kind of put myself in that mind frame, and just kind of acted like I belonged, you know? And when I met them, it was less of, oh my gosh, I'm a huge fan, like, wow thank you so much for doing this it was hey how are you it's good to see you great to meet you i'm i'm stoked for this you're you're awesome and so yeah where are we gonna do this like let's write a good song i thought of him like okay it's like i'm writing a song with a buddy in colorado you know yeah come over like we'll work on something you
1: treat so you're treating the big stars the same way you're going to treat a buddy that you've known forever kind of a thing
3: Exactly. exactly. See, I
1: think there's value in that too. For songwriters too, Brent, right? When you start yeah. to climb up that ladder, I mean, mm-hmm. remember when you went from eighth grade, all of a sudden you go to high school and then you went from being the big fish mm-hmm. to your pond scum in high school. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're outranked by everybody. You're starting all over again, kind of a thing. And then if you ever went back during your high school tenure, to, and you had to go back to the the grade school, the, the lockers, they just seem really small, right? It just seems yeah. so far behind you. But that that stress, that's a stress of going from one barrel to the another. So when you write up, when you accomplish that, which I think a lot of people, this is where most artists get in their own way. They have that imposter syndrome and it doesn't help. I mean, Jacob, you're very lucky to have supportive parents. I mean, your your mom is a saint, and your dad plays in the band for a, for a long time until you got so busy he couldn't play in the band and keep his career. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they're all into it, but a lot of people they don't have that. Their parents are telling them they're imposters too, or their people that are closest to them are telling them that that they're imposters. I think that's a really important strategy to, to learn what, what you just described, Jacob, because you've got to... You, if, you, if you're doing it right, it, those moments aren't going to stop, at least not for a long, 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 long time where, you're, where you take another step up the ladder and you're like, oh, crap, this is an even bigger, more important room than I'm in, not for any other reason than to me, and I need to be on the level here and I need to bring something rather than shut down and not produce. Okay? You got to get out of your own head so that you can not only play in that sandbox but bring your A game. And every time you walked out of a room, what were you here for a week or two weeks when we were writing and every single time you walk out, like, I, I don't, I don't know that you came out with that many half songs, which is common. Yeah. You came out with a song every time. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and yeah. you'd be up the night before, like working on different guitar legs, like, okay, what am I going to bring to this person? And and just putting some time and effort into it. So you felt prepared.
3: Yeah. No, yeah. That's what, that was also part of it is like, I'm gonna be professional. That's what that's what What does that mean to you? Be professional. Professional is I mean that kinda can it can come off like a like a not fun thing. That does being professional doesn't mean you're not fun. Being professional means you prepare, you have a idea of what's going to go down when you go into this room or when you go into this radio station or go into this studio to do whatever you're doing. You know, Okay, whether you need to like, know a song or know some songs, or whether you need to have some ideas, or like, if you're going to write a song, you, to me it's like, uh, being unprepared just looks so like... oh yeah, no, like I just kind of you know this is just kind of like a thing that I've been doing in the past time. That's why I didn't prepare for this. You know, I've auditioned a ton of people to play my band, and that's like kind of when it clicked was when people would show up and be like. And I'd be like, all right, let's go through, you know, this song. And they're like, well, I don't know it. I'm like, why? You know, oh, uh, this is our first rehearsal. I'm like, this is rehearsal. It's not practice. You practice on your own.
2: (laughs) This rehearsal is not practice. That's
1: great. You practice to something. Another thing I'm going to steal, like, uh, (laughs) practice on your own. Like, you come in here to to, to audition for me and rehearse with me and you don't know the songs? Like...
3: (laughs) I didn't ask you to come away with my time. I asked you to come so that we can work on this too. So, um, so that's kind of like one of those things that I, I hold myself at the standard of, I, I know my stuff and I know like what I need to bring to get this done. It's like bringing that mental thing is just as important as bringing my guitar. And I the like. talent
1: that you have to play the guitar. I mean, that, that's it. Like Brent, how often have you and I talked about, and sometimes we get pushback from this, like headspace. Mm-hmm. Like mindset, you oh, know, it's huge. Everybody's like, well, everybody just talks about mindset. It's because that's, you can't do anything, no matter how much talent you have without mindset first.
2: Right. That's, I mean, that's why. What sabotages talk- people's career. I mean, they self-sabotage. That's what, you know,
4: we all know those people that are super talented that. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store... And use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off.
2: Just haven't made it, won't make it, just because they can't get out of their way. Why can they not get out of the way? It's their headspace. Yeah. Yeah. And those people, we probably all know those people that aren't nearly as talented that do make it, or we know will make it. Why? You know, because of their headspace.
1: Exactly. And I'll take that over everything else. Like I will take that over everything else. And when you get the headspace and the humility and the intelligence of somebody like Jacob Cade, and then it comes along with that talent too, like this dangerous. then yeah, forget about it, right? Now you're like, okay, we're going to do it. Everybody's going to band together. And there's going to be a lot of people that recognize that, that go out of their way to bend over backwards to try to make it happen because it's important to them because they recognize how rare that is, right? So my point in telling the the climbers here on this, headspace, first you know you can learn the rest of the stuff you can learn to be a better guitar player you can learn to be a better singer you can learn to be a better songwriter but headspace first go ahead No,
3: <laughs> you said you, you can learn to be a better singer i you know this i i was a guitar player and a singer on the side right so i mm-hmm. still am you know i'm still figuring it out you know but it was pretty shoddy you know my voice um Still I have to I have to work I probably have to work twice as hard on my voice than I have to do on my guitar, which is you know, has been something for me that I've had to kinda of like get over. So okay,
1: look, can we go down that road for a second? Because this is one of the places where you and I connected. Because on a scale of one to ten, my performance skills were at a twenty. On a scale of one to ten, my guitar skills were probably at for what I had to do with them, like at at about an eight or a nine, you know, I wasn't like a shredder or anything, but I didn't have to be, I had one in the band. Mm. Um, But I, you know, I had pocket, I had groove. I could, you know, I had everything I needed to to add value to the, to our foursome. But I, I tell people this, I've mentioned it many times in the podcast. I've, I had to claw my way to middle management for the vocals. To, to do that. And so we had lots of talks about this, didn't we? Well, there's the humility part of it, right? Like, okay, my guitar's really cool. My vocals, it's, it was pissing you off because it wasn't as cool as your guitar. And so like you said, you used the words, I had to get over that. And how did you get over it? Work on it. Why? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Double down, right? Double down on the holes where we got to fix this to 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 get it better. And Um, light years of difference, even from Jacob, from the time that, you know, we first met to the, to, um, to the time that you made the record. And then from, from the time that you made that record to when I just saw you, which has been a year and a half or almost, almost two years, um, it light years of difference. Like you can tell you're interested in being a better singer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you're doing, it. and that's that's you know, it, I just I, I think there's a lot of people that get kind of hung up again on the end game, Brent. Mm-hmm. Right? They just see what's happening right now, and they're like, oh, and then maybe they get a little disenfranchised in themselves because, like, oh, I can't do that. And it's like, well, yeah. you also haven't put the work in it that he put in it.
2: <laughs> yeah, you you have to be patiently persistent, and you know, figure out what skill sets you need for the path that you're on for your desired destination. Like Johnny, you're talking about you're you you were not a shredder, but you had pocket and groups. So yeah. you're like, you know, what's important for you is be the one on the mic. To yeah. be the you know, you didn't claw your way up to being a shredder. Why? Because you outsourced that. That wasn't yeah. integral to the the seat on the bus that you were going to occupy. That's right. You had to work on your vocals. You know, the and you worked on your guitar too to make it where it was you know added value. Yeah. But it's like, okay, if I'm going to be this big showman, that means I'm probably going to be the singer. I gotta. That's a skill set that's necessary. Jacob, you're front in the band too. So you're like, okay, well, you got the guitar thing. That's kind of what got you to the party. So where am I deficient in an area that is, you know, vital to me being successful at this? Well, okay, vocals, you got to work on that. Like I took a different angle, but still the same angle going, okay, my desired destination, my seat on the bus in the music business is songwriter what's necessary for me, you know, what brought me to the party is lyrics is just having a way with words and playing with them. That's, that's my joy. That's my, you know, that's my happy place. Okay. What is necessary, you know, for me to be a pro songwriter and have a seat on that bus? I said, you know what, if for me, if I go all in on, on lyric, then I can outsource like melody and playing some of that stuff. Like Johnny outsourced, you know, the shredder, position in his band and you're outsourcing drums, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, this is my band. I'm getting together. What I need is, you know, my seat on the bus, I'm going to own this lane and then find what's not necessary for that. Um, So I think that's necessary for everyone to do, you know, what, what do I have to do to be successful? And then what can I successfully outsource? Like you don't have to do all of it. Johnny didn't have to be the shredder. You have to have his performance and his vocals up enough and his guitar playing as well because it was a four-piece. Yeah. So, anyway.
1: But, I mean, that's important. And that's, by the way, you touched on something that I love to... This is one of my favorite questions to ask. When we're talking about a goal we got to hit, I ask myself this more than probably anybody else, but you, it's very common. You'll hear me say it out loud. It's like, what has to happen Yeah. for us to get from here to here? Not can we. Yeah. Not will we. It's right. what has to happen to get from here to here? And then we we go do it. Like it's just Mm -hmm. setting out that set of goals. So, so Jacob record gets done and then you go out on radio tour. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned on radio tour when you, when you did that? So we, we, we put Jacob's first single, which was, that was the one you wrote with, with Rachel, right? With Rachel Bowen.
3: Yeah. What's your problem? What's What's your
1: problem? And we went out on active rock radio tour. So we got a tour promoter. We got
3: PR. That was after. Uh, the bubble flex tour as well
1: it was see okay i didn't okay well let's back up and talk about the first tour then so we get him on his first tour sounds sexy right like (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) sounds glamorous (laughs) yeah jacob what was
3: it like (laughs) um well i knew i knew from multiple sources that i've talked that i talked to you know like touring musicians that I'd known, you know, and talked to about this stuff. I knew it wasn't going to be like something super fancy and glamorous. And So essentially what it looked like was it was me, my mom, and two other guys who were the bass player and the drummer in a minivan driving, you know, cross country on this East Coast tour that was about 20 dates. It was awesome because of the fact that I was getting to go out and do my first real extended tour opening for a band that was, you know, kind of the same genre, but not really. They were a little bit heavier. It was just like, get to the venue. Okay. Go in. Okay. Wait for them, the, the, the headliner to set up, then set up in front of them, do a sound check if you can, and then get ready to play early before a lot of people are there because that's when your time slot is. Everyone was great to us.
1: Yeah. Those guys are, they loved you. Yeah, Yeah. Super sweet guys.
3: Yeah made a lot of good friends. Um, and I, I realized that on tours like that, it's about making friends with people that you're on on tour with that are above you. Right. So I'm an opening band. The people that are headlining and their team are above me. They're doing better than me. So, okay, I'm going to make friends with them and I'm going to see, you know, Hey, help us out. Like let's become a family. Let's, create this relationship so that i'm in your circle now and you're in mine and now we have these connections that's kind of how i looked at it because the crowds were on and off for a very new band on their first tour was on and off as well we had to open pretty early sometimes sometimes the gigs were just like weird in weird places
1: and and to be clear so uh one of the things that we weren't aware of Bobaflex is a band that has like a really killer following and they make a living doing this on the regular. They probably do, they got to be doing darn close to 200 dates a year, if not more. But this particular run, they were going into a string of new markets. Yeah. So the crowd wasn't their normal crowd that was there. But uh, so from a business perspective, it wasn't all that maybe it could have been had we gone on another route with them. But there's a transformation that happens. I want to point this out with Brent, I'd like to know your perspective on this when it happens for, with a songwriter, but on mm-hmm. a performer, on an artist, on an indie artist, it happened with me. I know it happened with me. I remember uh, um the, before we went out on our first like month long run, the booking agent was telling me, uh, "Hey, man, like you guys are going to come back with me, totally different band." And I was like, "Yeah,, well, whatever. I, it went in one ear and out the other, but I never mm-hmm. forgot those words because that's exactly what happened. Like we came back a month later with a swagger, you know, like, "Oh, we just actually did this. Like this isn't a dream anymore." Like I didn't care what it looked like, but I did it. <laughs> you know, and I saw that in you, Jacob. I saw that.
3: Yeah, I stand by that for sure, man.
1: Nah. Yeah. So that 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 transformation that happens is is real. And then all of a sudden, now now that you had it once, you're like, okay, this is attainable. Yeah. Right. It's it's, it's a reality now. Is there something like? Is there a parallel to that in the music world, Brent?
2: Man, I, in I mean, the writing I world, kind of know my story is you know, I always looked at it kind of, I mean, it's, it's my hobby songwriting is what I love to do. So that's what I would get together with my buddy, like Tim back in the day when he's my only co-writer. And that's what we do. Cause that was fun. And I mm-hmm. loved it. I was driven to do that. And then especially after I moved to Nashville, I had a lot more co-writers available. You start writing more and you know, I'm still day jobbing and stuff around it. And so that was kind of my, you know, nights and weekends kind of gig. But then especially when I, went full time after Monday morning church got cut and I signed my publishing deal with major Bob and that's what I'm doing. And, you know, wrote, wrote like 102 songs that year, you know, going in every day and just building that muscle going, yeah, I I can show up every day. Cause I'd never had been able to show up every day and write before, you know, for hours with somebody in the room, I might be and- writing every day, but like, Oh, who's, who's my victim today. <laughs> oh, hey, what's up, Robin? Hadn't seen you in like three weeks or whatever. You know, it's our time to come back on, or this is so and so and they're brand new. And and just building that confidence that you walk in every day. And, you know, they're not all gonna be the same level of song. They're not all gonna be great. They're not all gonna be hits or whatever. I'm just saying I can show up every day and do the job. Yeah. And I can show up today and write a song. It doesn't matter what else is going on. Uh, you know, Jacob, you're talking about being professional earlier. One thing I think about, too, is pros play hurt. If you're just an amateur, if you're a hobbyist, something knocks you off your course for that day, you're not going to practice your guitar. Or you're not going to go to that writing session. You're not going to whatever. you pros, man. You know, in your in people's real jobs, day jobs, they don't get to call in. Yeah. You know, my cat broke up with me, so I'm just going to sit on the couch today and not come into my cubicle. No, you don't get to do that you show up. It doesn't really matter. Your boss does not really care what's going on in your personal life too much. You know, it's like you got to show up and you got to play hurt and same way with us.
3: Yeah. I saw just yesterday I was talking to somebody that is completely outside of the music business, completely outside of like my circle. Uh, She was at this coffee shop and I was at the same coffee shop. Just like kind of, hanging before i I think i was waiting to go for the appointment for this thing so i had some time to her hat yeah she was she knew i was a musician she knew what i did and that i had like just gotten back from tour and whatever and uh she's like how's your day going i was like you know what it's all right i don't know and she's like well what's wrong i'm like i just like kind of i'm stressing out about this thing for for the the new record i was I had something on my brain that I was kind of stressing out about. She was like, "Well, I mean, is it stress? Like, is it stressful being a musician and whatever?" And I was like, "You have no idea." And she was, <laughs> she was like, "Well, no, I mean, that's that's kind of weird. I feel like your life's just great. How do you have a rough time? Like, you're just a mu- you're a musician. You get to just play music. It's just like fun and games and great. Like, I feel like musicians' lives are just great and they have nothing to worry about." And I'm like, "Well, try it, please." <laughs> And you'll see, you know, try being in the music business and you'll see and like all that stuff. I just like it. It blows my mind how people view it as less of a job. Like you were saying, your boss, you go to a job and it's like they don't care. You're supposed to be here. You're supposed to do this. It's the same thing with us, man. Mm -hmm. Show up every day and it's almost like a constant 24 hour thing because you have to be to work. I was talking to Brandon Gibbs about it too on, on this last tour. We did the Planet X tour. Him and I were in, in the green room hanging out and we just started talking. And he was like, Yeah, man, that's that's what it takes. It's like you get up every morning and you work on Jacob Cade. I, I work on Brandon Gibbs every day, 24 hours on the computer or on your phone, always talking to somebody, waiting for someone to message you that you reached out to for some gig or for some like okay i gotta get a logo who am i gonna find that can make me a logo message them hey can you help me no cool next one Mm -hmm. it's constant. like maybe it's not even like you're not even working on music you're working on the branding you're working on like where am i gonna get my next gig uh and that whole thing it's like people don't understand this is uh it's a job and it's something not to be taken lightly
2: yeah i mean that's the thing it's you know it's a business and you're starting, you're an entrepreneur. You're in the business of, you know, entertainment, that sort of, yeah, music business, but you're really in the entertainment business. And so I tell people, it's like, I showed up, you know, I moved to Nashville to write songs. Yeah. And yeah, I wanted cuts and stuff, but that's what drew me there. But then you really quickly at one point or another, you're going to figure out that we need to know how to handle publishing. You got to get in the right rooms to network. You know, if you want to keep doing this for a living, someone has to cut your songs and they have to monetize. And how do you make that happen? And there's, there's all this other stuff. And the people that just want to sit in rooms and do the fun part, they're going to be in a cubicle later. Yeah. Most likely, unless boxing they're... for
1: money is different than boxing for fun. <laughs>
2: yeah, you can go, whoa, 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 whoa. That hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pay for it.
3: uh -uh. (laughs) You gotta go to the bell Also I want to point out That um, A lot of people get stuck in their garage A lot of musicians get stuck in their You know They are the only ones that have heard their music right? But I'm of the I'm of the view that True art And true music and, and all that stuff Doesn't become true art and true music Until someone has heard it Someone else is like listening to it.
1: So you and move then, somebody with it. Yeah. Not cool.
3: Not finished yet. That's like the finishing touch, you know, is putting it out there and seeing what people like, you know, showing people and seeing if it does anything. You know, That's what I think.
1: I love that. So then, okay. So we, we pass the Boba Flex tour now, and then you go out on radio tour just um, what are some of, like the top one or two lessons that you learned when you were out on radio tour? Because I think you're you were out for a little while. You saw a boatload of stations. What did you learn?
3: Yeah, I learned that like radio stations and 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 that whole scene is way smaller than you think it is. When you listen to somebody on the radio or you listen to like a radio interview or and everything, it sounds so like. It seems like oh man, they're like in this big room and it looks super cool and there's you know lights and cameras and it's glamorous and it's this and that. But really,
1: gold and gold solid gold toilet seats and
3: Uh, yeah, (laughs) it's like Elvis's house. (laughs) Radio stations are little tiny rooms with a couple mics and a board, and the dudes just that's yeah, come in every day and just play some tunes. And uh, sometimes I have people like you come talk to me, and it's like awesome and so that's it really opened my eyes like i would never understood that that's what it was really like i realized that radio especially rock radio um, is not it doesn't do as well as it it did i i feel like it used to be if you got a song on the radio this shit people everyone's gonna hear your your tunes mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case anymore because no one listens to the radio only certain people do and i feel like the the numbers on that might be declining because of spotify and itunes and pandora and whatever you you know you can listen to whatever you want you can listen to you can listen to radio on pandora and you can station of like these are the type of songs i want to hear you know
1: Right. And you can make your own radio station with favorites exactly. and then just listen to the songs that you already know and love. And so mm-hmm. it, makes, it makes breaking an artist a little different. I think that's a really good insight and something, Jacob, that we've certainly been preaching here on this podcast for a while. Uh, it's, it's, it's Especially, it's creeping into country now in a big way, but especially in rock and pop. When I was coming up, the, the number one format was rock. And most of the radio stations in the United States were spinning rock music and now the number one format is country and most of those stations are spinning country so it's obviously much there's more people here in that than getting exposed to that than than rock and pop at the moment we won't spend too much time on this because i know we're running a little bit long here but we went and did the we got the one-off for docking right down in in scottsdale and we went down there we did a little experiment right now now Prior to that, I'd hoped we would have some footage from the Boba Flex tour, but we kind of mentioned before, like they did a bunch of new markets and God bless them. They were in a position to do that. And also were kind enough to take you out, which was transformational for you for sure. And so we're grateful for them for that. Now it's time to, we we got this chance to do a one-off where you're from Denver. We're going to fly down to Scottsdale, open up for and because we got an opportunity to do it, get the art and the artist in front of new eyeballs, but you were you're opening for the opener, right? Yeah. So there's the there was you, then the support act, then the headliner and then on the radio, we just weren't getting any spins in Scottsdale. That was not a market that was spinning us on Scottsdale's rock radio. Spokane I think was the number 1 market for you. Scottsdale was like number 0. Like nothing was going on. <laughs> so you're a ghost in this town and we you know, we talked about this before. We spent that money, we did we we took footage from a show you did in Spokane. Who did you open for in Spokane?
3: A band called Red.
1: Okay. That
3: was crazy. It was
1: sold out. They were sold out. And then um, we also got the, the Steel Panther gig in Denver,
0: 3,500
1: people, which I flew up for, and we got some footage of that. Well, there was the footage that we need for the social proof that you are who you are and that you can do what you can do. And it, it we uh, that the point was the truth. We knew what the truth was, but we needed to find a way that it was going to translate on to digital, right? So if I don't know you from a can of paint, and I see this, I'm like, whoa, okay, this is a party that I want to check out. And that was just filming you doing your thing, which is amazing, but also a sea of people looking up in awe going, wow, like that's that did that dude jump off a trampoline? Like, how did you get that high in the air with that one (laughs) picture that we snapped? That's so iconic. But you know, long story short, we spent $200 on digital marketing on Facebook. And what happened? Like, at that show.
3: Yeah. We sold, we sold like, I think the numbers were like more than docking tickets or something ridiculous like that. Right. We sold uh, a bunch of like, people were there to see us. There was like a huge crowd in front of our stage when we were going on hours before docking and out, you know, hours before the, the opener. And we saw a crowd and people were like, yeah, we came to see you. Cause We saw that you were awesome on, we heard about you and we came to check you out so much so that and came to us and we're like, "Will you jump on the rest of the tour and do this at every city because we need more people to come out and you like got all these people. And we were like, dude, I mean, we'd be happy to, but I don't know. It's like, uh, I,
1: I think uh, yeah we opted not to because it was cost prohibitive because they're all fly dates <clears throat> and so that was going to be it would have been different if it was if we could put you in that van again uh, and drive you know city to city but you know j- j- zigzagging back across the country it just wasn't gonna it wasn't yeah. something that w- it wasn't a good spend of money on the budget so that's interesting because I mean I want to point that out Dawkins big brand name they certainly mm. still have a draw this club was a big bigger club. I mean, the capacity at that club had to be like somewhere between 800 and 1200 people, I think. Just think about how any major label act is going to sell tickets. They're going to do it the old way. They're going to put stuff on the radio and they're going to put stuff in a magazine and they just are, don't have their heads around the power of that digital marketing. So we did what they couldn't do. And I think a lot of people found out that Dokken was even in town or maybe they heard about it once it wasn't top of mind anymore. And then we reminded him that Doc was in town. And by the way, look at what you're going to miss if, if you don't show up early. And so that sort of tipped the scale. So, and we did that four more times when you went on, on that first Planet Axe tour, which led you to another a management deal, right? That you yeah. went with. I mean, I'm just trying to paraphrase this a little bit because we're running a little bit long, bro. But ultimately, you were there for a little while. And it just, oh,
2: and I want to break in real quick. We you go in depth on that strategy. It's episode one forty six. How an unknown artist got four hundred strangers to a gig. So right. if y'all want to hear more about that, that's episode one forty six. How an unknown artist got four hundred strangers to a gig. So and we Anderson, talk about how we did it. So yeah, thank. We really you. dig into the specifics on that because that's it's an awesome story. So
1: yeah, thank you. But it wasn't a good fit this this management company. I mean, it's a great management company. They have a lot of success, but. Sometimes it doesn't mean that it's going to be a good fit for you, and this is again, so here we are. we keep climbing this ladder, but yet another speed bump, another pothole.
3: <laughs> you know, another thing another thing that I learned from that, another thing that I've learned, you know, kind of opened my eyes recently, uh, is that sometimes you have to be kind of cutthroat, sometimes you have to be kind of like, okay, like business before friendship or you know this this isn't working out and i have to go a different direction and you have to be honest about it and you have to be upfront about it i feel like i've gone the route of like letting friends do your you know do your stuff for friends kind of like yeah we'll work for you because we're buddies well this isn't really like out, know, but like he's my friend i don't I don't know, I don't want to hurt his feelings or whatever. I think that sometimes you just got to like, no matter what, like if it's not working out or if you're not getting what you want to get out of it, or if there's some other direction you want to go, that's just not working out. I feel like it's okay. Let's take the jump, you know, and go get away from it and go somewhere else where there's like greener pastures. I feel like so.
1: And so uh, from that though, I mean, you, you've had a, a big epiphany, I think. I mean, you were always kind of talking about the second record, I remember even maybe having a modicum of frustration with you where you're like talking to me about this, what the second record's going to sound like. And I'm like, but you're here to record the first record. Can we talk about that? Because you know? <laughs> you're already thinking, hey, your brain's working so fast, man. You're thinking ahead and I'm trying to corral you like over here. Like, let's just figure this out first. You know, I think after that, that's where you came in with a big genre change. Right. So. But the the first record is it, it definitely like an '80s uh, hair band kind of a a thing that's going on. Uh, and now, what have you changed to? You you've made a directional change. Uh, what's your Instagram audience
3: right now? Uh, Eleven point eight. Eleven
1: thousand. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you know you got a, a really you know decent little base right there. But we're, now we're doing, not only we're doing a, a genre change, but something else is changing too. Why, why don't you just talk a little bit about that? Because I think this number one takes a lot of balls. And number two, I think it's the right move. <laughs> it's good. So just go into that a little bit and then we'll kind of wrap it up.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, So I I have made the, the decision to go the direction of more of a pop punk genre. And that's, you know, it's kind of like the Blinko ninety two Green Day, more modern there's bands called neck deep state champs real friends there's
1: chemical romance is in that group some 41 is in that group
3: there's whole, um even you know there's this whole like kind of underground it's not really underground but kind of like scene of that around and i started getting into it because i i met someone that was like yeah there's a band called neck deep and i was like that's them that's crazy and then played another song later and I was like, Who is this? And they're like, That's neck deep. And I'm like, Are you for real? What is who are these guys? They're badass. They came through and I went to their concert by myself. And I just went and you know got On a
1: recon mission. <laughs>
3: I was like, i want to check these guys out. Like I was a huge fan, but I was also like, What well, I wonder like who goes to these things? And it was all young girls. And then young dudes that were into all those young girls. And I was like, wow, this is a very interesting crowd. They start playing, and the crowd knows every word to every song. doesn't matter if it's like a big song or like a deep cut or whatever, or if it was from their first record that they released, you know, in their hometown, you know, that they made in their friend's bedroom. It was They knew every word. And I was like, wow, this is like so much fun. And they sound great. You know, they were killer live, jumping around, running around, doing the thing. And I was like, I can do that. I'm going to try. And so I started writing tunes, trying to figure it out, like tune my guitar. Crack the code, right, Brent? Crack the code. Yeah, I was
2: thinking thing? about that, about that other episode <clears throat> that uh, that some people didn't appreciate. But yeah, that, uh, <laughs> yeah you, you had to, cr- you cracked the code on one genre and, and we're doing it well. We're going, okay, well, yeah, you know, you knew enough that you, said, well, I just can't try to go same stuff, but this, you know, now we're going to call it power punk or whatever. You know, there's a different way of riding,
3: a different artistry to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's like just little elements that are different, you know, and it's just like, it's a totally different way of playing guitar uh, in the sense that it's more like it's majory, um, and there's different places on the guitar that you have to play where that it's like way different than, you know, that bluesy kind of like,
1: the pentatonic thing, yeah.
3: Um, so I just like, had to figure that out, and it more or less kind of came quick to me. Um, and I think the reason that that is is because, like you were saying, I'm meant to be playing this type of music. That's what I felt like when I started writing this stuff and started writing the lyrics to this stuff. Like, like you
1: found your, your beehive, man. Because hey, here's the other thing, is that that's where your crowd's hanging out. That's where your your peers are hanging out. You know the kids that are your age—that's what they're listening to. They're not listening to the to the stuff that I was playing when I was an artist. You nailed that stuff, but it, it I think all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, this is—it's like the the, yeah. the the video from the '90s band with the uh, yeah, No
2: Rain by Blind Melon. Yeah, no no Rain by I yeah. <laughs>
1: know
2: like When I moved to Nashville, I just
3: saw all the bees dancing in the field. I'm like,
1: this is <laughs> my this is I my hype. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you're
1: also changing the name, right, brother?
3: Yeah, I I have always wanted to have a band name, right? Like, I've always wanted to be a band, but um, I was going, you know, the the Jacob Cade route. Uh, but in this genre of music, there's no singular, like, guy. There's no singular names, you know? And I was like, maybe this is my chance to have a band. So I uh, started thinking and started kind of processing like different names and stuff. And so I decided to go with, um, the name, the broken as our brand new kind of band name. And the more and more I thought about it, I was like, you can do, I can do some pretty cool stuff with like logos, merch, the brand that we were kind of talking about earlier. And it just kind of like clicked and was like, wow, this could be like really cool. Then started showing it to people like yourself and, um, everybody in my circle, and they were like, yeah, dude, this is sweet. Then it was like, I want to make a record. And then the the um, the management guys that I had been working with wanted me to do it you know, with their guy and like, yeah, we'll cut the record in like two days and all this stuff and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they wanted me to write with them and everything. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I wanna do it myself and with the guys that I wanna work with, with my the guys that I know have my back and the guys that I know will understand what's going on. And so I went back to the dudes that I did P- Prince of Rock and Roll with. I came to them with this idea and it was hilarious because when I like had told them this is the style of stuff that I wanna make. This is how I wanna sound they were like, Dude, yes, finally
1: it just made sense, yeah. When you played those mixes for me out in, out in the RV after your set here in Nashville recently, I think it was me and Skylar, my intern, were there, and we just were like, "Whoa!" Like, okay, this now it's all make it just makes sense. Like, it makes a lot of sense. So, so I mean, good for you, bro. That, I think I've that heard t- it said
2: that I've heard it said that artists are always in a state of becoming. Yeah. Ooh. You know, always in a state of becoming who they are.
1: I'm writing that down right now. I like that. No, Good.
2: Not- okay. So Jacob isn't the only one to say something worth stealing. Thank you.
3: Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say something. I heard this from uh, one of my talks at. So, Bellwether, if I'm like, you know, at night, have nothing to do and like like super late, got done with whatever I was doing. I um, mean, I have some time, I'll go there and just chill until they close. And at that time, it's just me and like mm-hmm. a couple regulars. And so I've become kind of like one of those regulars that's just always there. So we were just talking and this guy, the owner of the club was there and he was like, yeah, uh, there's this band called Silverstein. And one of, his, one of the people in that band is one of, one of his buddies and they wrote a book together. And he wrote this intro, um, the, the owner did to it. And the book is a poem of every day of warped to that this guy was on and it's very interesting. I, I I got a copy, but the intro he says something like us as people, we wake up as rough drafts of ourselves. And then we go to every day at revision and mm. wake up another rough draft. Until so we just become our novel, you know? And I think that's like super cool to look.
1: I love that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> I love that. Well, Jacob, man, thanks. We're, we're going to get this record out mid June. We've decided on a on a release date. We've started to retarget on digital, and the one big thing we're not going to do this this go round is radio. We're going to take the budget that we would have spent on radio and put it into digital marketing because we've seen so much response from that, and we're onto something. Like we, think, I think every artist has a, a way to connect and a way to craft some content that will translate who they are and what they're about on digital. And we found that early with you, Jacob, because it's a, it's a performance thing. You know, not all artists are that high bombastic, like crazy performance thing that you have. They have something different so that the same thing wouldn't work for them, but this works for you. And so we're going to put the hammer down and, and make this work and everybody in the client community will keep you up to date on that. But, Brother, man, thank you so much for taking the time for sharing all this. And uh, man, you have some good stuff that yeah, man, it's going to be real beneficial to to all the r- songwriters and and musicians and indie artists that are out there right now. Some some things that they can latch onto and use uh, for that. So, thank you.
3: Anytime, man. This was fun. I like
1: <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. Man. It's always good hanging with you, man. <laughs> Well anyway guys listen you know this is the kind of stuff that we're doing with our artists it's care it's it's love it's it's passion it's intention Attentive. It's, uh, what's that? It's effective. It's a, And it's effective. That's right. <laughs> if you're a little stuck, if you're looking for some ways to try to find your groove and some ways to move forward, and or maybe you're not stuck, but we can ramp up the speed of your growth of your audience, we're available for consultation. So reach out to us, email us at info at com. Again, production is singular. There is no S, info at com. Put consultation in the subject line, and we can talk about different ways that we can assemble a strategic type of path for you to get you moving forward and get your audience growing, and to have some of the the kind of milestones that we've got here. Jacob certainly still has a long way to go, but he's well on his way, and and he's got his head on straight. So I know that he's going to be able to navigate the waters that come with that, and that's, that's why we created this podcast. We want that for everybody, but a little one-on-one attention goes a long way. It's a worthwhile investment in yourself. So uh, with that, guys, once again, join the Climb community if you haven't done so. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review. Even if you don't, we'll still read it. We just proved that today. That's like, right. If you, if you get a nasty gram, we'll read that too. We just try to be as authentic as possible, right? The yep. good with the bad, the sweet with the bitter. Exactly. And if there is a way that that uh, it's helping you, share that with somebody else. Let them know. that that's the be- best company you can give to us it grows our audience it helps increase our influence and, and that's why we're doing this i mean we certainly not getting paid for it we just we love helping people so guys this podcast exists because we want you to win so keep on climbing, and we'll see at the top